Okay, let's get into the sermon, a new series today, In God's Image. Um, I'm going to talk today about recovering our stolen humanity. Last week's sermon, The Power of Giving God Just a Little Bit More, thank you for the great response to that sermon. I got a lot of text and, and conversations about it. It was intended, though, to encourage you in two simple ways. Number one is that you have a wonderfully, reasonably heavenly Father. A God who is delighted with you every time you show a little more effort. Uh, You know, most children say their first word between 10 and 14 months. And they start to crawl like between 6 and 10 months. And many children start recognizing single words uh, to to read them, I mean, between 4 and 5 years of age. And all parents, almost all of us, act like We've just discovered the eighth wonder of the world when our child crawls or when our child says mom or dad, mama or dad, or however they say it. And God is like that. He's, he's our heavenly. God totally enjoys and approves of you in that great in-between, that, that great in-between total stupidity and total surrender, <laughs> in-between your complete infancy and your complete maturity. Uh, God does not, and, and, and last but not least, God does not connect, and that's what the sermon, last, last Sunday's sermon is going to connect with today's sermon. Our, God does not disconnect our natural physical selves from our spiritual selves. Our, he doesn't disconnect our mundane activities from our, the grand visions for our life, uh, which, which leads to the number two reason preached on the power of giving God a little more. And that's number two, is everything about you is a witness. Number one, everything matters. Even your physical activity matters. Your facial expressions, when you give someone a smile, you're you're, you're giving energy for God. Whatever you give to life, you're giving to God. That's what last Sunday's sermon was about. Whatever you give to life, you're giving to God. Number two, everything about you is a witness to your creator's creation and has the potential of reflecting his glory and giving him praise. I love, uh, I love this scene from Eric Little, the Olympic runner and missionary to China from Chariots of Fire. If you haven't watched that movie with your children, you should. And I, I'm going to play it right now because he makes this connection between his physical being and his creator. I've decided I'm going back to China. The missionary service have accepted me. Oh, Oh, I'm so pleased. I've got a lot of running to do first. Jenny. Jenny, you've got to understand. I believe that God made me for a purpose. For China. But he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. To give it up would be to hold him in contempt. You were right. It's not just fun. To win... It's to honor him. Jenny. Jenny. In the setup of that, I failed to mention to those who would know that he was an Olympic runner, and the movie is all built around his refusal to run on Sunday. 
and about him uh, winning the gold medal in the race that he ran in. And there's something about our physical selves that detracts or brings glory to God. We're really, another guest we have here today is uh, my uh, brother's son-in-law, my nephew by marriage, Jimmy Mayo. He's back there. You're going to hear him a little bit. He's going to come to the keyboard at the end of the message. But uh, uh, Jimmy, when I, Jimmy's one of the, the, I think he's the greatest sound engineer in the, in the world. I mean, he does huge churches. I believe, Jimmy, didn't you install the system at the University of Alabama? Yes. So, so that, that gives you out of the caliber. And hey, we only bring in the best at Bethany Community Church, right? But when, when I watch, Jimmy, when I watch you work, I can feel the presence of God because of how you work. When Jimmy gets to town, he sets his hair on fire and he goes to work. It's amazing to watch. Everything about us, in him we live and move and have our being. There's nothing, there's no part of your life that's not a witness to God's creation. There's not a part of your life that cannot be for his glory. We talked to you last Sunday about Brother Lawrence who believed that working in the kitchen and peeling potatoes and cleaning the floor were to be done to the glory of God. So, today's sermon is not how you can be saved or go to heaven. Today's sermon is how you can be fully human and live for your good and God's glory here on earth. Now, I want to give you, um, I want to give you a premise for these sermons. I'm not going to, this is not my outline for today. This is not my talking points for today. But I'm going to lay this out, and I'll be revisiting them over the next two or three weeks, four weeks, th- three weeks, I guess. Let's begin by saying this. Rejecting the idea that we're made in the image of God and refusing to let that truth shape our values, ethics, and behavior, number one, automatically results in a loss of inherent worth and dignity. It automatically results in less self-value when you no longer believe that you are created by God and that you are created in His image. You can't change that because you're going from transcendence to what people use big words would call eminence. Secondly, when you reject the idea that you're made in the image of God and refuse to let that truth shape your values, ethics, and behavior, you remove the foundation for objective moral values and ethics. It's called moral relativism. We had this great moment at Christmas time, a moment I will never forget as long as I live, because we opened our presents on Christmas Eve, and we met to eat on Christmas morning. And we had this moment when we had all eaten, and, and I always had this tradition of reading the, the Bible story, the, 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 the story of Christ's birth. And, uh, you know, uh, there, there's always a great deal of impatience when you read it before opening the gifts. It, hurry, come on, hurry, 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 pop, read it. Come on. Um, and, and I've kind of gotten used to that, and so I just steal myself. Okay, we just got to get through this because this is the right thing to do, right? <laughs> but 
it was totally relaxed because we had already opened the gifts. So we're all, all around the table, like 12 of us. Mom and dad were there, and Sherry's parents, if those of you that are new to the church. And we're all sitting around the table, and I asked the question. I said, I want to go around the table. I want everyone to answer. I want, I want you to tell me what difference it makes in your life that you believe in Jesus Christ. And we went all the way from my 90-year-old-plus mother and father-in-law who shared eloquently, and all the way down, everybody, everybody shared something so beautiful and so wonderful. But I'll never forget, we get to the, the last person, which is Eden, my eight-year-old grandson. He's now nine. And Eden gave the answer that I, that I will always remember. He said, I'm, Jesus makes a difference in my life because he is my guide. And I thought, I think about that all the time. What does the average person have as a guide? What is the average person's guide? The Old Testament, there's a little verse that says, God said, I will place a plumb line among my people. A plumb line is what a carpenter would use to determine whether something was straight, whether the wall was straight, whether it was level or not. What, if we do not have God, if we do not have Jesus, what do we have as a guide for what is right and what is wrong? That's the second thing, and we could go preach a whole sermon on that, of course. The third thing is it disconnects us from the deeper significance of life. There's no transcendent meaning. All that's left is the pursuit of material possessions, power, and personal gratification. That's all that's left. Material possessions, power, and personal gratification. Fourthly, if you disconnect your life from the idea that we are made in the image of God and refuse to let that shape your values, ethics, and behavior, it always results in, in abuse and the breakdown of human relationships. Only the understanding that others are made in the image of God can consistently cause us to love them properly and treat them justly. Only a God consciousness can create a truly shared humanity. And don't tell me about this Christian treated someone bad or that church or this church institution. This isn't about what people do. This is about what is foundationally true. And let me tell you something. If a church behaves badly, it's because they quit acting on the idea that we are created of God. And they quit acting according to the ethics that that dictates. Finally, Disconnecting from the idea that we're made in the image of God and refusing to let that truth shape our values, ethics, and behaviors creates distance from and disrupts intimacy with God. The separation leaves us spiritually empty and disconnected. You know, there's all these cute stories of cross-species bonding with animals. They're create cute stories that create they're heartwarming stories, right? I saw one the other night where a baby leopard who had been abandoned by its mother was showing up every night to nurse from a cow. Ah, that's so cute, right? And there's all these stories. There's Coco the gorilla and All Ball the kitten. You might have known that story. There's Bubbles the elephant and Bella the dog who became best friends. There's Owen the hippo and Mazee the tortoise. Wow. There's 
Kumble the cheetah and Kago the puppy. However, with humans, the stories are not so cute. With humans, when they bond with that which is not their creator, it's perverse, it's disturbing, and there's distortion of our true humanity. Then God said, Genesis 1, the cornerstone verse for today's message, Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. Martin Shaw said, when you don't know the story you're in, the script you're to follow, or the drama you are called to perform, you are ripe for seduction. Do you know the story you're in? What story are you living in today? Are you living in the story of, I am created by God. We are created by God. And we are all created in the image of God. And we must strive to live up to the image of God. So, first of all, let's begin by rediscovering how we were made. The Bible says the fool said in his heart, there's no God. Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God. John 1, 3 says, God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. And who's the him in the word? Jesus. God has created everything through Jesus, and nothing was created except through Jesus. So I believe it was Jesus himself who saw the beautiful creation that they had made and the beautiful garden and had a desire to appoint a created being that could superintend and flourish in that environment, who could fill that earth with their progeny. And of course, every time God relates to man, he has to stoop. You know that, right? Every time God relates to man, he has to go down and stoop. And so he stooped down and he formed man out of the dust of the clay, or out of the clay and out of the dust. And out of, you know, made him the most perfect sculpture or piece of artwork that the universe had ever seen, infinitely more wonderful than anything by Michelangelo. But, all, but still, it's just clay. And then he stoops a little lower, and he puts his divine lips against the lips of clay, and his divine nostrils against the nostrils of clay, and he breathes his divine breath, and the most amazing transformation occurs that clay becomes a living human being. And that meant not only that there was biological life, but it meant there was what the the Greek word zoe, there was divine life. So that meant there was a development of a personality that resembled God, a mind that resembled God, a soul that resembled God, emotions that resembled God. It was the birth of human consciousness. A lot of people are worried, some people, maybe not a lot, some people are worried that artificial intelligence and machines will achieve human consciousness. Stop worrying. It's never going to happen. Machines will never, machines will never have desires. They will never have emotions. They will never have a will. There will be, they will not achieve human consciousness. Now, that, that doesn't mean some terrible things cannot happen. Some incredible and wonderful things are going to happen because of AI. But let's get back to humans. G- 
Just consider the physical miracle took place. Human personality, autonomy, free will, instincts, it, complex thinking, consciousness. The animal kingdom does not have human consciousness. They behave out of instinct. You know? The male and female uh, mountain lion does not have a conversation. Says, you know, I'm tired of living on this mountain. Honey, I'm tired. I'm just, I, 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 I don't want to see this scenery again. This place, this place, this place isn't very nice. I deserve a better mountain. That's a human being. That's a human being. Think, reason, feel. All of those wonderful things that make, make it fun to be human and make it, you know, they're, they're frustrating at times, but also wonderful. David saw it this way. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and you knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Say, I married this person and they're so complicated. They're so complex. Of course. Blame it on God. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion. I was woven together in the dark womb. You saw me, therefore I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out for me before a single day had passed. Psalmist David was saying, even my mother's womb, you were weaving me into the kind of body that you wanted to come out. The, the, the narrative of Adam's formation from the earth carries a message of human responsibility to care for and steward the natural world. It underscores the interconnectedness between humanity and the real creation. If we're going to rediscover our humanity, we must rediscover, number two, why we were made. That's how we were made. Let's, we must also rediscover why we were made. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19 says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, you are not your own? Acts 7, 48, though, says, The Most High does not dwell in temples made with hands. Now, that was an amazing revolutionary statement that Paul made because all the nation of Israel had ever known was a physical temple, and it was the most sacred spot that they knew. It's where they met God. It's where they experienced God. It's where they got atonement. It's where they got forgiveness of their sins. It's, 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 it's what anchored their world together was that they would meet God at the temple. They would meet God at the tabernacle. It's where they would be instructed. It's where they would learn the will of God. It's where everything about God would happen. It's about where the presence of God would fill that place. Well, why did God create a body for man? The answer is startling and amazing. The short answer, of course, that he wanted a temple that he could dwell in. However, as I've just done a little bit, let me break that down a little more. The temple was where people met God. I think I said that. The temple was where forgiveness of sins and reconciliation occurred. The temple was where God's presence would manifest and where humans could witness the glory of God. The term glory of God is an amazing term. It's beyond human comprehension. The word glory is beyond human comprehension. You have to see it. You have to experience it. You have to feel it to have any comprehension of it, really. It, but it symbolized the unveiling of all that God was, his essence. It revealed his divine nature to humanity. 
They, they went to the temple, and there's several places where it says the temple was filled with the glory of God. The Old Testament tabernacle and later the temple in Jerusalem were sacred spaces apart, set apart for worship and encountering God's presence. These structures were designed to reflect the significance of the glory of God. When the tabernacle was completed, the glory of God filled it, signifying that he was dwelling in the nation of Israel. Don't miss that. The temple was the place that reminded and reconnected everyone in Israel that they, with the fact that they had a special relationship with God. No temple, no revelation of God. No temple, no, no sense of the presence of God. It's staggering that the Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, who could have built the most magnificent cathedral, one that would put to shame St. Peter's Basilica, put to shame the Cologne Cathedral in Cologne, Germany. I love to watch, look at the pictures. I sort of collect them in my a folder on the, uh, on, in my photos. I collect photos of beautiful cathedrals. And I've had the opportunity to travel a bit, and I've been in some of those beautiful cathedrals. God could have commissioned the early church to build the most amazing cathedral that the world had ever known. God could have given that as the, as the number one goal of the church was to build a magnificent temple where he could meet with humanity and humanity could once again experience the glory of God. And once again, people could go there and be redeemed and have their sins forgiven and be atoned of their sins and recognize even the sacrifice of Jesus. He could have done that by building an amazing cathedral, an amazing facility, an amazing edifice that would, what would, would be beyond anything you've ever imagined. But guess what? God said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to make the human body my temple. I'm going to make the physical human form the place where I'm going to live and the place where I'm going to dwell. <laughs> you know what Jesus said? If you hadn't thought of this, it, it might just blow your mind. Jesus said, out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. Wow. Out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. You're supposed to physically experience the glory of God. Have you ever thought about this? All those wonderful and, and not so wonderful emotions, joy, fear, anger, frustration, where do you feel them? You don't feel them up here. You don't feel it in your arm. You don't feel it right here in the physical heart. You feel it right here. I'm not trying to make some weird doctrine out of this. You know, I, 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 I don't know all that this, this is, this is very deep. This idea that there's a location in your physical body where you will feel things. You will feel stuff. You will know stuff. You will know stuff here that you don't know here. You will experience stuff here that you don't experience 
initially here. You will learn stuff and have stuff revealed to you here. We say it all the time. I just had a gut feeling. It doesn't make sense, but I just had a gut feeling. I knew it was wrong. I knew we shouldn't, we shouldn't buy that. I knew I shouldn't go hang out with him. Or I had, a, I had a gut feeling that that was a good person. Now, do we get it right all the time? Of course not. We're, 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 we're fallen human beings. We don't get it right all the time. That's not my point. My point is that God has chosen to make your body headquarters for the Holy Ghost. Headquarters for His presence. No, no wonder, we'll get into that maybe in the other sermons. But no, no, Paul said one place, how dare I make my body, join my body with a prostitute? I'm, my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. My body is the temple of God. I, I mean, I want you to go this afternoon, you go look in a mirror and say, man, you, you, you look like the temple of God. You're a beautiful edifice filled with the glory of God. Amen, amen. <laughs> you know, well, I won't take a, a humorous side trail. I, I, I love those, you know. But it's 10.08. R.C. Sproul said the ultimate aim of the human body is to glorify God. The ultimate aim of the human body is to glorify God. A, a lot of Christians today want to glorify God with their spirit. And they'll say, Pastor, I, I know I haven't been in church lately, but my spirit was there. I, 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 I can't help you out Saturday, but my spirit's going to be with you. I don't want your spirit. I want your body, because your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. You can't send your spirit somewhere. You can't send your spirit somewhere. You've got to take your body. And you take your body there, you're taking the presence of God. You're taking the power of God. You're taking, you're taking everything that's about God is residing in your physical body. The ability to reconcile people. The ability to love people. To make, the ability to make people feel awesome. Every one of you in this place have the ability to go make somebody feel awesome. You also have the ability to make them feel judged and awful. Because you have divine power. That's why you have to walk softly. That's why you have to walk carefully. That's why you have to sanctify this body. That's why you have to avoid impurity. It's all, does it all make sense? All right, good. Let's, let's, uh, let's get to the close. Rediscover. If, if you're going to rediscover your lost humanity, you must rediscover the indwelling power and authority of a divine image bearer. So Charles Spurgeon, the great prince of preachers, said, you and I must feel that we are a great deal more than we have ever thought ourselves to be. Of course, when I set up the premise of rediscovering the indwelling power and authority of divine image bearer, a divine image bearer, I am already assuming you've made Christ your Lord and Savior, that you believe in the Creator and He has put the Holy Spirit inside of you. The Bible says, in the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is living in you. And he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies. 
A lot of people used to believe that was after death. But read Romans 8. Read the context. It is not about after death. It is now. And the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. He has raised from Christ from the dead. He will give life to your mortal bodies because of the Spirit that lives in you. There's no, by the way, there's no example in the Scripture of the Holy Spirit physically presenting a person from engaging in acts that defile the body, in sinful acts. There's no, there, 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 there's no point in Scripture where someone started to gossip and their tongue froze. The Holy, or, there, or that someone began to reach for something forbidden and, and, and the Holy Spirit caused their arm to be paralyzed. Or someone began to look at, at lustful images and they went blind. There's no, there's no place where the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit doesn't, he, he leads, he guides, he speaks, he counsels, he's an advocate, he's one who comes alongside to help. Your body and your will does the work. So, how do we rediscover the indwelling power and authority of becoming a divine image bearer? One compound word. Self-control. Oh, you didn't want to hear that, did you? You wanted to hear, because you like magical thinking, and so do I. We like magical thinking. I, I wanted you to say, Pastor, just pray a certain prayer. And, and you do need to pray prayers. But self-control... If God didn't expect self-control from us, he would be denying our capacity to live in his image. We cannot live in his image if he has to control our behavior. It's kind of like, you know, all rites of passage, all, almost all rites of passage in life are a moment of giving a person more personal autonomy. Let's talk about the scariest moment in a parent's life. The scariest moment in a parent's life is when their teenager gets a driver's license. <laughs> all three of my children, all of them, totaled their car within a year. I think Christy lasted the longest, but it was my new car. Jason totaled his van in two weeks. I think Elise lasted about a month. It was the most frightening experience to me to watch my children drive away from my house in this machine, knowing the traffic and all of these things. But what good parent would say, listen, I'm, you're never going to drive, never. I'm just not going to let that happen. Because if you drive, you will have an accident. If you drive, you will get stranded somewhere. But you'll go drive. If you drive, if you drive, you might do something bad. You might go somewhere you shouldn't go. No. That's a bad parent. That's a controlling parent who says, I am not going to let you have a life where you could ever get hurt. God is the same way. God hands you the keys to this machine, this marvelous, amazing machine called the human body, and says, you control it. There are two major barriers to self-control and living out the image of God in, in the world right now. I think these things changed in time. But right now, 
We've, de- we've deified our emotions and raised feelings to the level of irresistible force. Our new God is self. Our new God is our own feelings and emotions. The new unforgivable sin is to fall short of doing what you deeply feel you should do or deeply feel you want to be. That's the first thing. That emotions and feelings have become our God. The unforgivable sin, number one, is to not do what you feel. And right close behind that, the next unforgivable sin is to hurt someone's feelings. We have learned how to feel and we're forgetting how to think. Because they are different. Thinking and reason and faith go together. Feeling is on the other side of that equation. Important, good, you need to feel. Feelings are important. That's a whole other sermon. But feelings are poor guides, right? The second thing that happened is there's been exaggerated focus on the disease model in the tool for analyzing human behavior. An exaggerated focus on the disease model. Now, I do believe there are diseases of all sorts. I believe you have a disease in your stomach, a disease in your liver. You can have a disease in your brain. You can have disease. I'm not negating that. But in 1952, the American Psychiatric Association, in their Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, listed four or five mental disorders. In 2013, they listed over 300. Now, I'm not questioning please don't send me an email or go on Facebook and post something about this statement. I am not questioning that there are mental disorders. I'm not at all questioning that. But currently, did did we actually have a growth of almost 300 from 1952 to 2013 that that our ancient forefathers didn't know anything about? I'm not questioning these things, right? I'm not questioning that that mental disorders exist. But today, if you eat too much, it's a disease. If you're too thin, it's a disease. If you smoke too much, it's a disease. If you drink too much, it's a disease. If you're obsessed with sex, it's a disease. If you're given to outbursts of anger, it's a disease. If you're anxious, it's a disease. If you're unhappy, it's a disease. No free will involved. All chemicals in our brains that control our every mood, according to the, quote, science. Every desire and every bodily function. No selfless discipline talked about. No no control. We have surrendered the power of our, our humanity. We have lost our humanity. We've surrendered the power of our humanity. We've abandoned our designation as being a little lower than the angels. 1 Thessalonians 4, 4 said each of you should learn how to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Finally, 1 Corinthians 9, 24, so don't you realize that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize, so run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. 
I want our prayer partners to get in place right now. Now, some of you are here today. You need healing for your body. The fact that God created you and that you're made in His image, this is good news that you would want to be prayed for for healing and God will wants to heal you. And I believe that we can and should see more healing than we do. Maybe you need forgiveness for dishonoring your body. Maybe you need spiritual power to make healthy choices for your body. Power to overcome anxiety and depression and fear that inhabit your body. Someone here under the sound of my voice needs to surrender your body to God. But I want you to stand. I want to say that again. Some, some of you here in this room need to surrender your body to God. You have, you have, as best you can tell, given Him your spirit and you've given Him your belief, your mind, your intellect. You, you've given that to God, but you've never thought about dedicating your body to Him. You've never thought about recognizing that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit and that you want to dedicate Him. I'd like to see a, a mass dedication of human bodies this morning to God. I would just like for this room to become a mass place of living sacrifices. The Bible says that, if we, that in Romans 12 that, that we are to offer unto God our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service of worship. Uh, l- l- let's, just, let's just make this room right now a place of bloody sacrifice. For we put our bodies on the altar of sacrifice. And so I'm going to give my body to God. And I'm, you know, the thing about, here's the thing about it. I know that's a scary thought, but in the Old Testament, they killed the sacrifice. But Jesus became your sacrifice. So the good news is when you put your body on the altar, you are not going to be killed. You're going to be made alive. I said, you're not going to be killed. You're going to be made alive when you put your body on the altar. So I I would love to see many of you come down here and be prayed for by the prayer partners and say, you know, you don't even have to tell them. Just tell God, Lord, I'm giving my body to you. I've, I've made this weird separation between my thoughts in my mind and my body like they're like they're some sort of weird duality you know i love this i love this important and, and just spare me a couple oh, another minute jesus went around making people whole w-h-o-l-e everybody say whole jesus made people whole somebody here this morning you've never been whole you believe with your mind and you believe with your soul in your spirit but you've never brought your body along you're not connected you're not whole now the scripture says now may the God of peace himself sanctify you holy body soul and spirit boy somebody in this room just got a revelation of that somebody I know somebody in the sound of my voice just got a revelation of becoming connected body soul and spirit you want to have the great life, the good life, the best life now? That's how to have it. Get aligned. So your body and your soul and your spirit are all aligned. You're going to, as Gentleman's Warehouse says, you're going to like the way you look. (laughs) 
Jimmy sing something for us. And then I'm going to pray. Sing a chorus or two, and then I'm going to pray. And, and you guys come forward when I pray. All to Jesus. I surrender all to Him. I freely give. Well, I will never love and trust Him in His presence. I'll dare. Maybe you're here today and you haven't taken that first step of believing that Christ is your sacrifice. I want you to get ready to come as well. Some of you just need prayer for some routine thing that's going on in your life that involves your material, physical world. I hope you affirm today that God really cares about your physical world. Father, we dedicate this moment to you. We... We gather around the altar of sacrifice. The altar of sacrifice has been sanctified by your blood. And for just a moment, we're going to put ourselves on that altar. And then you're going to send us forth, remade, transformed by your glory.